This is part two of uh, we were discussing the uh, issues um, the Torah mentioned in two weeks ago's parasha of what we call many issues, what we call um, there's, there's prohibitions of desecrating human body, of getting benefit from a human body, and there's a, a positive commandment to bury as soon as possible a human body. Um, so those were the three prohibitions, and based on that, obviously, it's very uh, practically relevant, and that's what we started getting into, which is the question of um, how do we deal with autopsies, how do we deal with uh, medical schools, should Jews go to medical school or not? Um, is that allowed, since, uh, since, um, since there's a lot of uh, cutting up of, of bodies in, med in medical school? So just to retract on something I, I said last week, which last week I was being too politically correct, I realized, and I, I was being too politically correct because we discussed, is this all, are all these laws applicable to non-Jews? And I said off the bat, yes, because, meaning not, not the prohibition, but the, when we talk about desecrating a body, is it specifically Jewish bodies or all bodies? Um, and I mentioned that uh, was only that if, the, if the issues, Salam Elohim, it's creating the image of God, that's the bottom, the underlying issue. So then, um, all bodies. And it's all bodies applicable to everyone. So that would be a big problem, as we'll see soon, going to medical school, um, because even if it's non-Jewish bodies, if you live, if you're not, if you're living in a place where the cadavers are not Jewish, although it's al almost always Jews who are donating their bodies to science, um, uh, non-Jews don't donate their bodies to science. It's smarter than that. Um, so. Uh, but the point is, so, so it's not so simple. I just did a little more research, where it's there seems to be a argument amongst the early authorities as to how this law is applicable. Everyone agrees that the law that you have to bury a body that same day is in the Torah. It's one of the six thirteen. It's only going on that obligation is only on Jews. On Jews, um, that's what the Torah is referring to. Just like all mitzvot, so it's specifically on Jews. And when it comes to desecrating the body, so it's interesting because the Torah here gives. Uh, usually, as we know, we don't we don't like applying reason to the Torah's laws. So, because as we discussed, there are cases as we as we gonna discuss and we discussed last week, there are exceptions to this rule. Um, if it's for the, let's say the covered mess, we said let's say you're delaying a funeral for the purpose of honoring the dead, the dead person, the deceased. By relatives are coming, or he's gonna have a bigger funeral tomorrow. So then it's permitted. Uh, that's really applying reason. So they discussed that in this case you're allowed to apply reason because the Torah here gives you the reason. The Torah says, kill this Elohim Talu. God's um, curse is hanging, so to speak. So since the Torah is telling you what the problem is, so we understand that we could apply rhyme and reason to it. Um, so that's that's so in this case it's different than other mitzvot in the sense of therefore we apply that anything that's necessary for the sake of honor of the dead that we'd be allowed to delay a funeral or or to cut up a body to mutilate the body in that case it's not mutilation but cutting up the body let's say for um, let's say for example uh, one of the exceptions given should call the honor of the deceased would be let's say we need to identify the body for purposes of burial and also for the wife who is going to be stuck if we don't identify a body uh, the husband died the wife will not be able to remarry so for that sake of course we allow uh, autopsy delay. let's say a delay and autopsy um, even if for the sake of helping out the wife remarry 
um, and being permitted and, and for the sake of identifying a body. So that would be a case, an example. And not for medical education or for research. So when you get to medical education, that's a different question. So that's not for the sake of the body, that's not right. honoring the, the body. Right. But is it desecrating? Uh, so we're going to get to that, so we're, yeah, we're getting at. But before that, so just getting back again to the non-Jewish bodies. So it seems to be a, an argument the early authorities, everyone agrees there's no obligation to bury a non-Jewish body that same day. Um, the question is, what about what we call calling nivul hames, which is desecrating, uh, you know, dishonoring a body. So it's not clear. There, um, it seems to be there's an argument. One second. What? what? Let me finish. Yeah. So now, yeah. one of the reasons so they discuss is even those authorities who say this might be a loophole, as we'll see, those authorities who say that um, that. Uh, even for Jews, technically speaking, so there's a bi it's a biblical prohibition, as we're talking about. Let's say mutilating a body, as the Torah says here. Doing anything to desecrate a body would be a biblical prohibition. But what they say is anytime there's a need to desecrate a body, um, some form of a need, so then it's no longer biblical. Then it becomes only rabbinical. So let's say, getting back to medical school, so some early authorities want to say that would be uh, maybe a, a permission because if the body, if we're assuming the bodies are non-Jews, if you live in a place where it's a majority of non-Jews, you can assume the Kitab is not Jewish, and that's called a need. Therefore, biblically speaking, it's permitted to desecrate the body, so the rabbinical prohibition of desecrating the body, even in the case of need, is only applicable to Jewish bodies, not to Gentile bodies. That's one loophole they discuss. You don't like it? You know, because one thing is not clear. The, we're not talking about the body. We're talking about the person doing the desecration. We're talking about the people delaying. The onus is on those people, not on the body. Yes, and true. The body's dead. They don't have no more okay, mitzvahs. And those true. laws are applicable to the person doing the yes. But the, the question is, what, so to speak. what object now, are we talking about? Which body is it specifically? Does the Torah only prohibit a Jewish body to be desecrated, or any human being? Right. That's the uh, and given that it's anybody, that anybody should not be de desecrated. That's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Yes. Given that, yes, you're but entitled. The law is on the person doing it. Yes, And the 100%. point is that that law is on that person who 100%. is Jewish. Yes, that we all agree. Not yes. if you're in a in yes, a in if Scotland you're not Jewish and you're going to medical Jew school, we have no mass. Mass. Yeah, but I'm we saying is, no say. but we're talking about Jews. This class is for yeah, Jews. Well, okay. Yes. Okay. So all Jews here. We're talking about Jews. The question again is, what if the body does the body is this prohibition specifically on a Jewish body or on all human beings? That's the question. And as far as the the victim of your mutilation. Okay, let's yeah. put it down. <laughs> yeah. So the prohibition against desecrating body comes from hanging the body. Yes. The Taurus, well, yeah, the Taurus, yes. But in fact, it does permit hanging a body, just not for too long. For a yeah. very right, short so time. So it does permit desecration of a body, but just for a limited amount of time. Yes. In this particular scenario, yes. Right. Someone so, I mean, uh, Yes. So you're right, there is an economy. Could that yes. be kind of a loophole? That's what uh, Ron was saying last week. It seems to contradict each other. Well, the couldn't first. that be a loophole for, say... Yeah, so clearly, 100%. Again, you see need, in a certain sense, allows... You need to hang them because capital crime. Right. So, yeah. So you're right. That's one of the... That's how we see that a need could override certain where, needs. But where do they get from this, you can't benefit from a corpse? That's a good question. Exactly how they derive that, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Because it's not yes, obvious. Yes, There are the, 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 the two yes. ways you can benefit, but I mean, we do benefit we, from corpse. Uh, we do. You no, no, but... So you bury the body of a hung person because <coughs> is a curse to God. 
Yeah. Or hanging body hanging the body for so a long period of time. Bury that body quickly. Yes. How do we extrapolate this to all bodies? Ah, so again, so so this is the this where we get into the time of the Quran application where we're applying the reasoning. The Torah gives you the reason. So it's it's the assumption is there's two parts to the uh, I don't remember who <coughs> says it, if it's the Gemara or later authorities. That first of all the fact that we're saying even someone who was worth did a capital committed a capital crime and was executed, we're treating, we have to treat his body with respect. Surely, someone, it applies to regular people. Respect, it's burying him because we don't want God to see that you... <coughs> no, no, we don't want God to see. God sees everything. Um, unfortunately. We, we want, uh, we want, we, it's a disgrace to God to have a human body hanging. Right. So that's so why you hang that. That's why you bury that body. Right. That what I'm saying is, so the un, the understand is any disgrace to human being. We, we know we're deriving from here. We're broadening it correctly <coughs> as you're right. referring to any disgrace to a body, mutilation, um, anything that in any which way will disgrace a body. Tattooing. Why does a non-disgraced body have to be buried the same day? No, because that's a separate. That's a separate verse. If you look on top of the page, that's covered to Quran. And you must bury, and then we, and again, we broaden it from here to all bodies, all uh, maybe at least Jewish bodies, have to be buried that very same way. True. No, meaning the, the, the inference. The way I understand it is the inference is if a body remains non-buried, that in itself is a disgrace. Now that's the inference. That's the way that the understands it. So, so meaning not burying a body. Um, is is in itself a disgrace, delaying a burial. Now, by the way, this is done today, as we know, all Jewish funerals are trying to be done as quick as possible, except where there's a need for someone coming in, or, um, I'm going to say something else. Oh, by the way, in, in Israel, interestingly enough, because there's an added verse, the Torah says here, also another thing, is titamet ad mascha, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make defile your land make your land impure, and that's, that's the understanding is specifically in Israel, that halach of, of defiling your land is only applicable to our land, which is Israel. So in Israel it's stricter actually, and as a matter of fact the Minog Yushalayim in Jerusalem is, no matter what, even for the honor of the dead, they will not delay a burial. They know, if I've gone to funerals in Jerusalem at 2 a.m. Someone dies in Jerusalem, you know, that night. As a matter of fact, my father passed away in Israel, the Dead Sea area. Um, and they didn't, we had, they had to wait till all the kids come from America, all the children were here. So, um, I remember they, specifically the Chavah Kedisha, didn't bring him into Jerusalem, because once they bring him to Jerusalem that day, they would, be, they would have to bury him, they couldn't wait anymore. So they delayed bringing him, wherever he was, some hospital in Beersheba, I think, or something, they brought him to, so they, they delayed bringing him to Jerusalem, because once they bring him, then... What's the Minog in the rest of Israel? Well, the rest of Israel is more lenient, but in Jerusalem specifically, because I guess more holiness, so the minhag is you bury, you bury that bury far, immediately. And if a foreign body is flown to Israel to be buried in Jerusalem, they would take them off the plane practically to the. No, oh, so again, if, as long, once it comes to Jerusalem, yeah, they do it. Yeah, yeah they mm -hmm. drive straight from the same day. Yeah, I've gone with bodies. I've actually flown with bodies to Israel also um, that I've accompanied, and and I, you get out of the airport and you go straight. Take him straight this. Is there a bracha that a medical student can say when he before he body. dissects a body? <laughs> well, we don't know if he could do it yet. First, let's find out if he's allowed to dissect it. If he's allowed, then we'll discuss. When, when yes, it, let me get when an When does it become a body? <laughs> In other words, um, is a, 
this goes to the kind of the abortion issue. When does when does it start getting the respect of a body and need to be buried? But as soon as it dies. What do you mean? As soon as the time of death. As soon as the time of death. Well, no, if the it hasn't been born. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's what you mean, a fetus. Oh, so that's, a, that's an interesting question. Oh, so that's a very good question. Not for today, but I'll tell you quickly. So I've, I've uh, also done uh, fetus burials. You know, women who've miscarried as a rabbi. Over 30 days old. No, there's no rule it has to be over 30 days old. There is, well, first of all, there's nothing to bury. If it's before a certain point in the pregnancy, it's it's water. So you got nothing That's to bury. But after, right, after that, so the, we have a custom. There's no obligation to bury, technically. It's a custom that we do bury. We don't mark the grave. And it says the parents are not supposed to actually attend because there are many cases where the parents want to be there. And I was told uh, Kabbalistically and halakhically they should not attend because for many reasons, but but it ta- it's only more of a custom. It's not a, an obligation to bury, because it's, again, it's not considered a, a full life. It could be la- the last, a full term. You know, the stillborn is different than a miscarriage. So depending on which term of the pregnancy, but it's not. There's no the custom again is to bury. We do also if it's a male, we do a circumcision on the on the body. So so the day um, and they even name it, but the parents are not told the name. So a third trimester. Uh, that's aborted either spontaneously or medically uh, right before birth would be buried and and circumcised if it's a male. Yes, but again, I don't know. I'm not sure. The question of that sheds any light as to whether it's how we consider life or not. It's really, it's more a lot of uh, heebie-jeebie stuff. A lot of Kabbalistic, yeah. Well, this gets a little complicated oh, okay. because you could have an eight-month-old fetus who dies in utero or an eight-month-old fetus whose head comes out and then dies. I mean, are you saying? No, once the head's out, it's alive. But is there a, t- a cutoff during the pregnancy which is considered... No. No, I'm saying that it's just a custom. Again, it's as far as I understand. After I, I, t- I can tell you that all authorities, once the head is yeah, out, heads out. Right, that's right. a live head birth. Out, until that's the a live head birth. is out. Yeah. Right. But what do you yes. do if they're eight months and they die in utero? What do you, what do, you do? You bury again. The custom is there. It's a fetus, it's a as a fetus, yes. not as a unmarked grave. Unmarked. Yeah. Should you say as if it has two heads? Yes, of course. We did that. We did that discussion. Did you say a, a stillborn male fetus has to be circumcised? Yes. That has to. It's a custom. That's the custom. Yes. I never heard of that. Yeah, is there that's a, why you come to the clinic. I assume it has, to, <laughs> it has to be of an age where you have a recognizable penis. I mean, you know. Obviously, you, know, you can't circumcise. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing to circumcise. Well, that's not considered mutilating a body, a dead body. That's, uh, I guess it's beautifying the body. I think some consider me in San Francisco, they consider me mutilating a live body. In San Francisco, <laughs> they can't. <laughs> those that consider mutilation. It's just You're getting off topic. Is it appropriate time to talk about no, it's not. ear piercing? No, it's not. I'm a fetus. I going to say something else. Okay, so. so uh, Channel. The point is like this. So, we'll get, so we left off last week, getting back to our topic. Um, so the so this obviously the concept by the way there's two places in the Talmud which call, talks about um, autopsies actually one was a case where well, we're not going to get into them uh, 
one was a that they actually wanted to figure out how many limbs a human has. So they took a this woman, uh, some prostitute, and they autopsied her body. The rabbis said and and checked, count up how many limbs there are on the human body for relevant for halachic purposes. We're not going. We're not going to discuss that case. I don't have it in front of me. But the Nodi Biuda. Um, more recently, the Nodi Behuda, was, his name was Rebichez Kalando, the chief rabbi of Prague. We started his, this response in last week. It's on the front of your page. So he was asked about uh, this case in London where they, uh, someone had some type of kidney stones, or what was the other option? Not kidney stones, other Ladder stones. Ladder stones, kidney stones. We're not sure exactly what it is. Either case, so he was asked about doing an autopsy in order for them to understand more about the illness to help other patients. So this was uh, somewhere in the 1700s. The, the, the response is not dated, but he lived somewhere in the late 1700s. Um, or mid 1700s, I don't remember. So he, so he goes through, so the, the person was asking the question, or I was asking the question, brought many proofs to try to bring proofs that you are allowed to um, to uh, do an autopsy for the sake of saving other lives which would seem like the, the rational thing to do because as we know saving a life is always um, overrides all other prohibition. So there's no reason it shouldn't override prohibition of mutilating a body. We're saying it's a biblical prohibition to mutilate a body. But if I can learn stuff from this body, which will help save other lives, so surely I should be able to do it. So he says not so quickly, interestingly enough. You know, the Behuda is not does not allow it um, even to learn medical knowledge from it. And he says like this. So we're in the second paragraph. Um... He says, he brings proof. He says, of course, as we know, the law of the Torah is, as we just mentioned, even a Safi Pikuach Nevesh. That means we don't only permit one in a case where it's 100% sure we can save a life. Even if there's a chance. As we know, we violate Shabbat or Yom Kippur for that matter. Even if there's a, if there's a very, very small, slim chance that someone's life could be saved. We don't say, well, let's check it out. Let's, you know, figure out. Can he eat? Uh, should we feed him? Someone faints in Shalom Yom Kippur, you give him to eat. You don't ask questions, right? So we see from there what we call even a svek svek, even a small doubt of saving, of endangering someone's life. We always err on the side of caution and we allow a violation of Torah law. So why should it be different here? So he says, he says an unbelievable principle which is used, as we'll see in many areas of halacha, which he says like this, which is very strange and needs explanation. He says, we're in the middle paragraph, the first one on the line is Ella. You can read this small Rashi print. I can't, but I'll try. It says, And this is written in the 1700s. So this is all applicable. This halacha that we are saying that you could only, that you can violate Shabbat or Kippur, any Torah law, even for a small chance of saving someone's life. That's only, he says, that means the life you're saving has to be in front of us. Right now, there's someone here, there's another patient who also has these bladder stones, and we need to figure out how to save this other patient. Because, um, and we don't know exactly where the bladder stones were, how, how to do the surgery, what's the best way to go in to cut them out. So if that's the case, you have another patient in front of you. So he says, even if there's a small chance you can learn something from mutilating, from doing an autopsy on this body, in that scenario, he says, you're allowed to, 100% you're allowed to do it. You go in Chola or Nefilas Gal, like a case where you have a uh, sick person in front of you, or he says you have a, a building collapse where there's a, there's a small, maybe we don't even know there's someone in the building, but we're going to take our chances and violate Shabbat. 
um, he says in that case that we mentioned last week, the Gemara discusses, if you have someone on death row, you need to ascertain whether the victim who was who was who he murdered um, might might have been a trafe, as we said, he might have been terminally ill. Which in that case, you can't. There's no capital punishment, according to Halacha. If the, the murder victim was terminally ill, so then you don't kill the murderer. It does not doesn't mean you murder is permitted. Just saying it's not there's no capital punishment in that case. So we need to ascertain whether the victim was a trafe, so that you can do an autopsy for, because you're saving the life of the murderer. That's saving the life also, even saving the life of someone on death row. According so to David, that, that was is, would, is a murderer believe that his victim was trafe. So that's an intention issue. So that's a good question, but it doesn't. It's not going to get him off the hook. It's still murder. The only question is the application of capital punishment itself. Uh, but I'm saying, as far as murder, it's considered murder. So the fact whether he thought that's irrelevant. So I wonder if when they did permit capital punishment, whether you routinely had to do an autopsy to see if they were a trafe for the victim. Right, well, that's the Gemara says. The Gemara says, why don't we? The Gemara says, because autopsies, as we saw last week, the Gemara says, an autopsy is not going to help anyway, because maybe he was a trafe in exactly that area. So we, we, we okay. rely on the majority. majority of humans are not, not terminally trafe. ill. And that's what we rely on the majority. That's the Gemara's proof. Okay. And so... That we rely on majority. And so, if to determine whether it's even murder, you need an autopsy to... Yes, so we'll get to that. So that's, again, that would be a need, um, meaning it was a murder, was a natural death, 100%. So that's a, that's, that is the exception to the rule. I told you, I was in a case, um, I had a case here in Houston where a, a woman called me up. Uh, she said her father um, shot himself, killed himself in his office, and uh, she wanted to prevent the autopsy. Now they were going to do an autopsy. Um, he put a gun in his mouth. I mean, it was clear he, he committed suicide, he was depressed. But they wanted to uh, do an autopsy, and I uh, checked into the case, and it turns out that that uh, he, he was going through a messy divorce, and the mother was really, uh, the wife was, the ex was really nasty, and she had threatened to kill him. So in that case, on the contrary, you can't, you have to allow an autopsy, because we need to ascertain, was there a murder here or not? So that's not an exception. That is the case, exact case. There's a big need for that. If she's a murderer, we need to get her off the streets. So we need to ascertain. If there's a real um, concern of foul play, in that case, of course, an autopsy would be permitted. And there's two reasons. One is because, first of all, it's saving lives, technically, if there's a murder on the loose. Number two is it's honor for the dead. I mean, think, you know, that's also, that's a certain, in a certain sense, an honor for the dead. That's not called mutilation. Like we said, you're allowed to delay a, a burial. You're to, so if the purpose you're doing it is to ascertain whether he was murdered, that's in a certain sense honor for the dead. So I think technically, if you, if a woman puts a pillow over her dying husband's head, euthanize him, she would not be liable for capital punishment were it permitted. According to the Jewish well, law. Well, depends what dying means. He, again, he has to be a trafer. That means he has to be terminally ill. The fact that he's just dying doesn't make someone a oh, trafer. Oh, he's terminally ill. So I mean, a ghost test is not a trafer. For example, someone's uh, in the last throes of death, but he was healthy. He's, uh, he's having cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. Then you kill you. You want to speed it up right. for insurance purposes or whatever. So if he's riddled so with cancer. Huh? So if he's riddled with cancer. Or right. So if he's a trafer, then well, it's not capital punishment. Again, it's murder. Right. right. I it's got not it. capital punishment. Yeah. I was just going to comment <coughs> to, to Manny. When, when I was a, a resident in ICU, we had a patient who was on a ventilator and was essentially brain dead uh, on New Year's Eve and the family asked if we could keep him, <laughs> stick, keep him on the vent until the midnight 
for tax reasons. And it was a lot of money. This is Alabama, no, right? Alabama, right? No, that was in Michigan, actually. I've had that happen in Texas. Huh? I've had that happen in Texas. Really the time it's of death has legal ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Really so, by the way, and I don't want to, I don't know enough about the topic, but there are um, sometimes, let's say, the person owed money. Where I, I don't know what, how it's, I don't remember the case. The Gemara talks about where you couldn't um, might be able to do a autopsy to ascertain whether I don't remember the exact scenario. So sometimes, even for the purpose of money, if it's a big enough cause, he owed someone else money, and he it was his fault that he didn't pay it back or something before he died. You could it also might be allowed. I don't remember what that. Well, we had a delegate with the case of doing autopsies for research. Mm-hmm. Yes, there first, first, well, here he's dealing with it for oh, research sometimes. here. Mm-hmm. Meaning, well, not research, to save someone's life. Right. So that's what he's saying. So they again, you can, always, right. you can always make some kind of association of anything with some kind of remote people of So when you get always that. do that, and that's why they have to do ah, this. Ah, yes, that's a very good point. Well, let's first read it, and then we're going to get to what you said. Very important statement he's making. So he says like this. He says, um, he says, "Vachilin in my mind." Sorry. But in our situation, the note of you is saying the Vichas Kalanda. In our situation, again, seventeen late mid seventeen hundreds Prague, in Kan Shum there's no other patient that needs to know this information. You guy, you want to learn more about this disease? That's a very nice thing. That's research. Maybe we'll have another case of uh, of bladder where we have to do surgery. She gets and we'll have to know this knowledge. He says Vade de Lodachinon. Because of that small concern, there might be another patient in the future. We don't push off this this uh, prohibition, shum or any biblical prohibition. A few even a rabbinical prohibition, which should not be pushed off just for the sake of gaining knowledge, medical knowledge. So he says, as as uh, just said, that if we're going to call this a case of suffering the fashes in Cain, by all medical work, shrika, you want to make medicine, all the pharmaceuticals can remain open on Shabbos, because someone might need this medicine. So you'll be able to grind all your medicines, which is a biblical prohibition to grind, in those days they would actually grind it, not like Walgreens where they just press a button, and you have to go to four years of school to press the button in the Walgreens. Ubishal samanim, and, uh, or cooking up the, the different herbs for the medicines, vachonas kliizmul, or for preparing your, the mole as to prepare his knife. So he's going to sharpen his knife on Shabbos, because listen, it could be, uh, or the surgeon, sorry. Because uh, the surgeon has to sharpen his knife, he has to do all these things. She could have done before Shabbos, but listen, he might need, even though there's no patient now, there's no emergency, but it could be, I'm going to call into surgery today, so therefore I'm going to, you know, sharpen uh, my knife and all this on Shabbos because they might have a patient. So Shemi is Damaniyom, maybe t- maybe it might happen today, or Balayla, Cholosh Yitzarachazel, who's someone who needs the surgery. Well, the Chalik Ben Chashal is Man Karav, Chashal is Man Rochik, Kashal Chalik. So you can't say whether it's a close, you know, you're going to start looking at the numbers. What are the chances of this happening today? Maybe it maybe will, maybe it won't. It says you can't, you can't start making degradations like that. The Chalil Hatter, God forbid to permit this Davrazeh, um, he says, even the non-Jewish doctors know this. He says, even they don't do their experience with uh, autopsies on anybody. They only do, they only do autopsies. Even they realize that. You don't desecrate a human body for anything. They only learn their, uh, he says, their, their medical knowledge from, from uh, cadavers only on people who are killed by the government, you know, capital punishment. 
or someone who, who agreed to let his body be desecrated. So he says, even the non-Jewish doctors realize you don't just desecrate a body. They only use, for, for, for medical schools, he's saying, or whatever they had in his days, two types of bodies, either those that were executed for crimes against uh, government, right, for crimes, um, or people who actually donated the body and they agreed to it. If we will um, go ahead and be lenient in this. So listen, the whole mitzvah of the Torah is gone because we're going to do all types and everybody could always learn from, from cadavers, right? There's always medical knowledge to be learned. So he says we're going to go ahead and, and start uh, cutting up everybody. See their varm to understand the anatomy, um, the inner of the inner organs, and how they work, in order for us to become better physicians. He says, he says they don't even have to explain it more. There's no uh, reason whatsoever to permit this. Because this rabbi was writing and wanted to permit it, um, based on the, all these reasons, and, he, and he's saying, you made a mistake in all your rationale. So by the same token, donating so, your body for medical research doesn't compute either a Jew. Donating the body doesn't compute. Yes, according to most authorities, yeah. It's not, not going to help. But we'll see, it's not, there are minority opinions who, who, who do say if, if someone donated it, then uh, it might be allowed, but because well, so it's about their covered again, the whole thing is, is right. it's about covered or mace. It's about their honor. So if they're saying, I, I forgive my honor. I don't know honor. what you said. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know if you answered this question. I didn't. I said it's an argument. I said there are minority opinions who agree with so you went so on it. So but what time we get there? We got there. Let's go in order. So, so again, starting with this. No debate. Yeah. In, in the event that there there is a an established legal reason to do the. Autopsy. That's not enough. The legal know. reason is not sufficient. It has no, to be I, saving I, I a life. I meant halachically. Yes, halachically. That's a big um, <laughs> So if there is a halachically legal reason to do the, to do an autopsy, does that mean you can do a full autopsy, or does it have oh, to be so limited to that part that's going right. so to obviously, again, deal with it, that it, issue? So it was a very good point. I had a case we discussed last week with Alan. Um, where someone died and they, they couldn't get to stop the autopsy, yes, someone died in their house. So I got the, the Harris County to agree to do a very limited autopsy. Um, and as we'll see, there are certain things that might, you know, might always be permitted, like uh, we'll talk about soon, take, just taking tissue or liquid, things that were normally done when the person's alive. Procedures that are done to a live person is not considered the desecration of a dead person. So in other words, if you're just taking a, a biopsy, you know, some tissue out or some liquid, you know, with a syringe. So that, Moshe Feinstein says, is not even a violation of desecration body because, because, you no, know, it's again, it has to be a desecration. So whatever is done, mm -hmm. a procedure is done to a live person, of course, will allow to a dead person too. Yeah, uh, wait a minute. Well, okay, so, well, you don't like that? No. Saying it's too lenient. The reason why you're doing it to a live person is to help that person. Yeah, that but I'm saying again, we don't view it as a desecration. The point is, <coughs> taking a uh, needle biopsy. Because or, you're helping him. No, no, because it's not a you know the, you know depends what uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's a slippery there's, slope. There's but no reason to do it from a dead. But Ramosha says taking out any them. fluids that are less than a revius, mm -hmm. I think, uh, revius, which are, let's say is something like six, five, anywhere between four and six ounces, um, something like that. He says it's not a desecration. That's not considered a desecration. So that so so again, 
Of course, if you're going to permit an autopsy, it's, it has to be limited to the yeah, area that's necessary. Your, your bladder oh, stone once. example, if, if yeah, you want to learn you, a better way to get bladder stones out because you've got another patient that needs it, <coughs> you can make an argument then that we're going to go ahead and make it, make an incision and, and autopsy that part of, of the body, but there's no reason to open the chest. So exactly, that's what I'm off. saying, right. You can, once you're in, they say, okay, let's, you know, why not? <coughs> Not the uh, CSI. We're not. Let's see where the bladder stone came from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look everywhere. It seems another one so, so now, the, so I, I just want to address your point. So, so he's saying a very important. The, the question is, what's going on here? Because if you think about it, we always, in our uh, 19 years of studying together, some of us. So, so we always said, because nefesh overrides everything. So why here all of a sudden say no? It has to be in front of you. Any we're saying if there's a one percent chance, I'm allowed to violate Yom Kippur, Shabbat, Kashrut, whatever it is, to save a life. So why all of a sudden here we're saying, well, you have to have the patient literally in front of you who's going to say it like, listen, there's a good chance I'm going to get the medical knowledge. It's going to be applied somewhere else. You know, as I see hundreds of patients, uh, you know, a year, thousands with the same disease, this with bladder disease. So I'm going to apply the knowledge to my next patient. Right, right now there's no patient here. And imply the knowledge. So, so, um, um, so what's what's happening here? So I think it's what you're saying. That Chazanish, who was a more contemporary authority, and he died in the 50s in Israel, Allah uh, authority in Israel. He, I've heard his name. He explained it as you're saying. He's saying like this: No Yehuda was bothered. You know, what's going on here? So how could he be so strict when normally when it comes to life, we're so lenient. Comes to saving lives. So he says like this. He says, When do we have this issue? When do we say you can say you can violate a Torah law to save a life? He's saying, when, you know, it's meaning someone's in a situation. The Torah says eat kosher. Now I'm stuck in a concentration camp somewhere, all right, and I'm I'm gonna starve to death. So say in that case, of course, because nefesh v'chaybem tells you you could override the prohibition of the Torah. The Torah never meant it in this situation. The Torah didn't mean the prohibition of the, uh, uh, the obligation to eat kosher in this situation where you're going to lose your life, okay? So in that situation, I permit it. But he says, let's say where you have a, th- uh, a, a, a principle where the whole, basically you're going to erase this law in the Torah because every situation, I should really do an autopsy on everybody. I could, I could save lives. If we would cut open every single human that died, we'd, be, we'd have much more medical knowledge because there's so much to learn from every disease. Every person who died of any disease, we can learn so much from the disease. So basically you're saying the Torah that says don't mutilate a body is irrelevant because I could always be, there's a, there's a 1% chance I'm going to learn something new from, from cutting open a cadaver. So basically you're erasing this mitzvah from the Torah. So that's what's bothering the Nadwid. Let me just explain this concept because it's a very it's an important concept. But you know, it's why he's being strict in this case, even though life overrides everything. But he's saying that only is when there's a, a certain specific life. scenario. Specific no, life. no. Before we, we're explaining even that, where does he get these guidelines of specific life? If I can learn something that can save a life in the future, so why wouldn't I be allowed to to uh, to to, uh, to mutilate the body? Because nefesh. Who cares? Why does it have to be a specific life? That's the question. Where do you get this guideline from? So what he's saying is, that Chazanish explains like this, that, that it's, you can't erase a mitzvah of the Torah based on Pikuch Nefesh. Let's say, Torah says go to war. For example, that would be another example. He doesn't say this, my own example. Torah says you fight a war. Listen, I don't want to fight a war, it's Pikuch Nefesh. If I go to war, I might die. Right? So obviously, it doesn't work there. You can't say, don't, we should be pacifists because it's Bikulach Nefesh, people lose their lives in war. The Torah tells you fight a war, obviously it's telling you even though there's danger to your life, this is still a mitzvah. There are times that it's a mitzvah to fight a war. 
So it's the same thing here. The Torah is telling you don't mutilate the body. You can't say, well, because nefesh, you can't mutilate it in every because in one percent chance because it's always every basically every body you you'll never ha- have the prohibition of mutilating the body will never be applicable. Okay, so that's that's sort of what you're saying, um, but it's more than that. You hear what's going on here? So they have judgment. In law, we often <laughs> say that, that to accept that rule would swallow the law. Exactly. Okay, that's good to know. I never knew that language. It comes directly from the Talmud. Yes. So it's going to swallow the law. Exactly. So it's not an. No, it's nefesh is applicable when it's an exception to the, to the law, as he's saying. But if, as he's saying, if, if the pikuch nefesh is going to swallow the whole law, you say, okay, we can't go to war anymore. We, or the whole law of the Torah is going to be erased. So then there's no, you don't say pikuch nefesh, obviously, in that situation. So that's the way Chazanish understood the Nodi Buddha, but it's more than that. Like we're saying, is Shabbos won't exist because someone's doing cancer research in MD Anderson. They're, they're on a five year plan, they're getting uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from NIH, millions of dollars these days. Right, so you're gonna say, listen, they could go to work on Shabbos because the quicker they find the cure for cancer, the more lives will be saved. So obviously, it, it's ridiculous. Meaning, there has to be a point where you say it, you can't apply pikuch nefesh, even though we're saying normally you can violate even for a minority. But there has to be a guideline because otherwise, every doctor will, everyone's doing research, and every pharmaceutical company say we can violate Shabbat every Shabbat. Right, so clearly it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's a very important concept. There's, there's one classification of conflicts that revolves around constrained versus unconstrained visions of the world. In the unconstrained vision, is you're always looking for solutions. So in this case, if you want to solve all medical problems, there's no Shabbos because yeah, all exactly. you're trying to solve the problem of saving lives. The constrained vision says, no, they're always trade-offs, which is what you're saying. You can violate Shabbos if uh, it doesn't what did you say? Swallow the law. You can't do it to swallow the law, which is what the unconstrained vision would. This is this is right. pretty so important. The same example of swallowing the law is uh, Paul, who said that there's so many mitzvahs and they're so hard to do. You can't do it. You're always going to be in sin. So forget the whole. Thing. Forget about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good example. We usually don't quote him. We only quote him by his Hebrew name. Shaul. Okay. So yeah. If this to save to nefesh mm-hmm. means that there's a, a specific life right there. Yes or no? Oh, so we're going to get to that. So hold that point. That's what we're going to okay. say right now. Meaning, so if you learn the the the, the <coughs> know the Buddha by himself, Rabbi Prague, his response, and he seems to be saying you have to have literally a patient in front of you in order to save lives. Now, the question becomes: first of all, some might argue that medicine today changed. Today, you you could be uh, here, and I'm treating a patient with telemedicine in, in South America, or because of our, the world got smaller, so to speak, you know, your knowledge that you're gaining here in research in MD Anderson could be helping a patient, you know, all over the world, right? You know, today you write an article in JAMA, and then, I don't know how quick it takes, but, you know, you, you all, have the whole year. medical community, what? Less than a year. Less than a year. <laughs> right, so the whole medical community gains that knowledge ASAP, and other doctors could be saving lives based on your knowledge that you that you did in your research, right? So the, the question is, how do we apply the Nodibuda today, but even before that? Chazanish already says, and this is to address your point, a very good point, meaning that, of course, Chazanish seems to imply, I didn't put it on the sheet here, Chazanish, again, who is this contemporary, not contemporary, but in the, in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in Israel, who came from Europe to Israel to Palestine, he writes that of course it doesn't mean in the literal sense that the patient has to be in front of you right now. 
Okay, he says, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be taking the note of you already in his days, in the literal sense, before internet. He's saying like this, I'll read it to you. He says, um, he quotes the halacha that they, from the Nod of Yehuda, that's quoted actually in the, in the commentaries in the Shulchan Aruch, and he says, It's not about whether the patient's in front of us or not in front of us. That's not the key point here. It says, mm-hmm. is, it, is it something that people will be screaming about? It? People are panicking about this thing that they need to know. You know, there's, there's let's say, the, the other ill patient could be not even in front of us. He could be... Does this guy have Ebola? Right, exactly. Meaning, exactly. So he says, he gives example... He says people that people get nervous about it. So that's the definition, and this is very important. Defin- What's pikul nevish? Pikul nevish means is during the week would you be going crazy and taking off from work for this situation and and getting jumping in your car and, and heading to the emergency room right away? Then we could do that on Shabbos, okay? If you, if during the week you wouldn't be jumping in your car, right? you know, you'd be calling the doctor. If, hey, maybe yeah, not sure, something to panic about. So so then then you can't violate Shabbat for that. No, that is sort of that's a certain sense. Maybe the the litmus test, right? So he says, same thing over here. He says, um, he said, are people going to be screaming about this? And even if the patient's not in front of us, but people are like you're saying, this guy, there's a Ebola in the city, there's a measles outbreak somewhere else. They're not in front of me, but there's a measles outbreak in the city, so we need to do everything <coughs> we can to make sure it doesn't spread. So he says his example is he says it's like it's like enemies surround the city. So right now there's no emergency in the city. Everyone's going about their business, but there's a, there's a siege on the city outside. They're going to break in any time. So you're allowed to violate Shabbat and do whatever you have to do to protect yourself, even though right now nothing's happening. Right, that's his example that he gives. He says um, he says Kedama the Gemara Nevin discusses that. No, let's say you're allowed to start uh, making weapons if you know that the enemy's coming, even though they're not here right now, but they're going to get here in three days. So even on Shabbat, I could start, uh, you know, cleaning my gun and doing whatever I have to do, buying ammo, right? Even to violate Shabbat, because they're coming, he says. So, so um, he says, but if it was peacetime, of course, you're allowed to, you know, clean your gun on Shabbos. In case, in case uh, you know, in case the enemy might, might come. That doesn't work like that. If you know the enemy's coming, of course you can violate Shabbat. That's what he's saying. That's he's how saying, you get the Yom Kippur War. <laughs> so it's peacetime, of course, that's not considered Pikuch Nefesh. But if they're surrounding the city, then it is. He says, The way he lays down the criteria is it's not called Pikuch Nefesh if it's something that's in the distant future. Um, um, that right now there's no concern. So no. So meaning, if I'm doing research and, and uh, for cancer research in MD Anderson, listen, there, of course there are cancer patients all over the world, and we need the cure as quickly as possible. Right? There's nothing pushing me that right now I have to go in on Shabbos to work and do my and, and, and kill my rats on Shabbos and dissect my rats, which is a violation of Shabbos to to do the research. And then let me finish the point. So so therefore he's saying, so it has to be an immediate uh, need in order for you to violate Shabbos. I'm just finishing the point. Have a little and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe they'll find a different cure somewhere else. We don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes what you think is going to be the cure is actually the opposite. It, it makes it worse. We don't, we don't judge on, when it comes to Pilch Nefesh about future situations. So that's basically what he's saying. So, so it's just the way I understand it. And again, there seems to be a difference of opinion. This is a journal that I inherited from Baruch Brody. So there's a whole section here on autopsies. A, 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 this is a medical journal. 
in Israel, but it deals with halachic issues. So there's a big argument here, back and forth between many doctors, about understanding how to interpret this chazanish. Is he arguing on the note on the on the, the rabbi from Prague, or is he just agreeing with him and broadening it, or is he saying something else? So there's there's a big difference of opinion here as how to view. Uh, this chazanish, in the way, is he just broadening? He's, he's agreeing with the Nodi He's just saying, he's he understanding it that when the Nodi says you have to have a patient in front of you, that's just a, a term he's using. It doesn't mean literally you have to have a patient in front of you. He's understanding it to mean it's an example. That's one example. Or is he is he totally arguing on the chazanish? He said different. before you generally don't like to apply reason to explain a mitzvah. A biblical mitzvah. Yes. But. It's pretty clear that when you have conflicts of biblical mitzvah, which comes up all the time, yeah. you do apply reason. Take some caffeine. That you do apply reason to explain, to try to sort out a conflict between two mitzvah, like Shabbos and Bakul yeah. and Nefesh. Yeah, well, it's a conflict, of course. So, yeah. you ha- so then you do apply reason. No, I didn't say that. But that seems to be what you do. What no, here we're defining Pukul Nefesh. We have to define Pukul Nefesh. Torah says there's a mitzvah in the Torah. Okay. Save lives. Don't stand idly by. You do whatever you can. It overrides other mitzvot. But we have to define, we have to give criteria. As we're saying, I'm, I work in MD Anderson cleaning the floors, because nefesh, because someone, you know, patients might not come because it's not clean enough, the rooms aren't nice enough. You know, I deliver flowers to cancer patients. So, All right, you know, well, I, where do you draw the line? Where say, is, what's the definition? What's the criteria? I would say nefesh. defining is applying right. reason. No, not necessarily. It's defining criteria of the law. So to I don't know if that's reason. Nada's point. It's different than reason. Uh, you're being it sounds like it's not so much a specific patient as a specific situation, on one that does not swallow the laws, where you have to have something specific. You have That's to make the case that there's something specific that allows you to override the biblical law. Mm-hmm. It may be a specific patient, or maybe the vague, maybe that the dead person could have. Ebola, which case there's no specific patient that's at risk, but everybody's at risk. Right. But it's a specific right. situation. It's not that's, a... Uh, um, yeah, or right. No, we, we know there's a clear and present danger that has to be addressed. Yeah. I don't have to have it right in front of me. It could be in Africa. You know, as I'm sending my... Like my, Ebola My research. I'm sending my pictures to this doctor who's, uh, you know, what's it called? Those doctors without borders, whatever. Whatever you're called. Who are doing something there in Africa. They're doing with Ebola. I'm doing the research here. But they need this information ASAP they to help now, them. Yeah. Or how much medicine they should give, what level, what, uh, how, you know, things like that. So that's called the fanecha. So meaning, that's the chazanish. Again, it's not clear if he's giving, because someone say the other behavior was written in the 1700s. They, you only dealt with your town doctor, you dealt with the patient in front of you. That's it. So that's what he was saying, what he's saying. But today, we're, we have uh, telemedicine and everyone's uh, privy to everyone's research. So it's interesting, even in here, that this, this is one of the arguments between the doctors in this journal. They're going back and forth for like, uh, I don't know, two years discussing and it. And then you have to think about the time zone. Is it right. bad? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. places. Right, so, so they, they, they argue about this. Are. They say, one guy says, listen, between me and you, the research we're doing here in Hadassah is not helping. Everyone goes by American research, one guy. <laughs> he says, no one is, you know, the world is not changing because of the research we're doing here in Hadassah. This is written in 1989. So he says, you know, everything goes by American research. That's one of the right. So don't tell me our research is going to change the world. You know, so again, it's, it's really a question of facts. If you writing an article in JAMA <coughs> could change the world, so maybe uh, you could, uh, no, you know, right. So you, know, you need to know, you know, so it's, it's an interesting, fascinating question. I, th- I think, I don't think, I think we all agree, the world of medicine has changed today where everyone does affect 
um, you know, there's a medical community worldwide, which I'm, which my, I don't know if my single autopsy, but let's say a study I'm doing on body on, on people who took this medicine and what what the effects are, the side effects could affect the whole world in a certain sense. So it's a, it's a fascinating question. I have a friend who's a deputy editor at, at JAMA, which is the most the medical magazine with the biggest circulation. He says most we what we publish is misunderstood. He didn't say it's crap, it's misunderstood because of p-values. And people think because it's got a p-value of 0.04 that this is revolutionary, it's going to change the world. He says most people have no clue what statistics are all about. And most of the stuff we publish is just not that important. This is the deputy editor of JAMA saying to your point. Right, but it's not all about JAMA. I'm saying it could be your... Uh, I'm doing, right, I'm doing specific the author, study. The author who's looking for a grant next year has a press conference and the press is stupid. Right, exactly. And it becomes headlines. <laughs> right. And then your patient reads the headlines, and you read the headlines, yeah, and then you have to go back and look at the article. And, and you say, yeah, not so much. Not so much. All right, so anyway, so it's an it's a interesting, here we have a response from the 1700s and the, <laughs> and the 1950s or 40s, and we're trying to apply it to contemporary medicine, where I think everyone would agree it changed to a large degree. So are you coming back to the question of... of What's, how do we define lefanech in front of you? Manny, Manny, listen. A student getting his general knowledge that he's going to stay after Okay, so now turn your page over. Manny, turn the page over. A surgeon never seen a cadaver isn't a very good surgeon. So now, if you turn the page, this is a specific response from Moshe Feistein about cutting up cadavers in medical school. Okay, this was written in 1964. Okay. Uh, who's writing it? Uh, Moshe Feinstein. Okay. Do I don't know. If, does anyone know of any who was in medical school in 1964? <laughs> well, I'm 67, close enough. Yeah. 60, 68. Oh. When were you in medical school? What year? Uh, uh, 60. <laughs> we got a lot of. Oh, uh, finish. We got a lot of. Finish. Oh, so, wow, everyone went to medical school before I was born. That's impressive. Huh? Everybody here went to medical school before I was born. So we cut up cadavers for your benefit. 61, I was a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> Can't relate. Uh, 61. Okay, so he says like this. So this again, this is written in uh, the summer of 64. That's a song, no? Is that Beach Boys? Summer of 64. Um, is that the name of the song? Yeah, it's when I'm 64. Summer 69. Summer 69. What's your favorite song? Yeah, summer 69. There is a song, summer 69. There is a song, summer 69. Okay, so he says like this. So it's written to his son-in-law, Moshe Tandler, who was a biologist. So I'm not going to, I don't know if we have enough time. Yeah, maybe we can read the whole thing. I'll read it quickly. I'll try to get to the key points. So he goes through, he says, as far as uh, doing an autopsy on a dead person in order to see the source of his illness, so he read, he quotes the note of Yehuda, already discusses that at length, uh, the Prague rabbi, and he prohibits it when you don't have um, a, a, a patient with this same illness in front of you. Um, so he says, the fact that I could have a patient in the future with this illness is not a is not enough of a reason, surely not enough of a reason to push to violate the Torah law, um, this Torah law. Ani Mosef says Rav Moshe Feinstein, I'm going to add to him. Even if, to, let's say, the statistics will tell you there is something, there is concern that you're going to have a patient like this in the near future. 
still would not push off this prohibition of mutilating the body. Mishum um, Islamic the rapos because he's saying if you're just doing it purely for research purposes, in order to learn to become a better doctor, that's your purpose. I'm gonna cut this cadaver in order to, to be a better, in order to learn healing or surgery. He says there's another issue here, which he says is a fascinating thing, which goes against all uh, conventional wisdom of all Jewish mothers. There's no mitzvah to go to medical school. There's no mitzvah to learn how to, how to heal. He says, right, this is a contrary to all Jewish mothers in the history of Judaism. Um, he says that the mitzvah is, he's going to explain, the Torah tells you the mitzvah, if I can save a life, I'm obligated to go and save a life. So I have knowledge, if I know how to swim, someone's drowning in the pool, i got to jump in to save him. If I'm on the airplane and someone is choking and I know the Heimlich maneuver, I have to do the Heimlich. Whether I'm a doctor, no, it's irrelevant. Doctor, not doctor, that's not the point. The point is, if I have the knowledge to save someone's life, then I have to save someone's life. But there's no obligation for me to go learn the Heimlich. There's no obligation for me to learn how to swim in order to be, when I'm around, the, when I'm on the beach, I could save people's lives. So, one second. so he's saying that's not a mitzvah. The mitzvah is to save a life. You have no obligation to go to five years of medical or seven years in internship and spend, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not an obligation, believe it or not. So he says the mitzvah is one thing. If I have the knowledge, if you did go to medical school, I have the knowledge and I can do surgery, I open heart surgery, then I have to do it. Because I have a, now I have an obligation to say I can save someone's life with my skills that I have. But the mitzvah is not to learn the skills. You don't find anywhere a mitzvah to go and learn how to swim, to save, to, to, to learn the Red Cross or to learn the Heimel. It's a good thing. No one's saying it's not a bad thing. But you can't violate prohibitions to save a life to have the knowledge I can violate prohibitions. But to learn how to swim, I can't say, well, I can take my Red Cross course on Shabbos and drive to Galveston to learn how to jump in the ocean, save people on Shabbos because it's going to save lives in the future. So that's ridiculous. The mitzvah is not to learn how to save lives. The mitzvah is to save lives, actually. Yeah. Isn't there a sort of midrash that says you shouldn't live in a town that doesn't have a doctor? Which implies a societal obligation to have doctors. Yes. So while you don't have to go to yes. medical school, exactly. So but you, you do need doctors, and to be, have to be doctors are actually skilled. You do have to do autopsies. Okay. So but again, you have to cut that, that's not a mitzvah. The Torah. The Gemara no, says, I understand. A smart person wouldn't live in a town with no doctor. Don't live in Louisiana where there's no. But a society. If nobody goes, that's to tell you to be smart in life. It's not. That's well, not a but if nobody goes to medical school, you don't have a doctor. So, hey, so, so can gonna, you put? Thank can God, you, can, there's a lot of people going to medical school. You don't have to worry. Permit you have med- first of all, no, I'm saying there's a lot of non-Jewish doctors. That's what he's going to say. Let, let's okay. read. He's going to say that. He's saying you don't have to be. Uh, no one's asking you to go to medical school. Um, I'm sorry if, I'm, if he's insulting anyone. It's not my opinion. Okay, so he says like this. He says. We don't find anywhere an obligation on anyone that they have to learn um, healing, how to heal. In order to then go ahead and heal patients. Even though there are sick people around. There's a lot of sick people in this world, but that doesn't mean I'm obligated to go to medical school. The obligation, the Torah obligation is to rescue, to save someone's life with the abilities that I have. If I'm already a doctor, and I could do open heart surgery, then I gotta do it. If I know how to swim beyond them in the oceans, then I gotta jump overboard and, and and save and jump into the river to save the drowning person. I have no obligation to learn how to swim or learn how to heal 
to do open heart surgery. In case a case comes, then I'm going to be able to do the Heimlich. He says, it's similar to like saying, listen, people, everyone has to go ahead and make millions of dollars because they have to give charity. So it's to give charity the Torah. So I have to go make as much money as I can. It's an obligation to make people do think that, unfortunately. But I was only pointing this point. He's saying there's no obligation to go and make, I have to keep on making more money so I'll be able to give more charity. If I'm very happy, I can pay my mortgage and paying the, making the car payments. I have no obligation to go make more money so I can help poor people. It's a beautiful thing. You want to do it? It's beautiful. But I can't violate prohibition. Like I can say, I can go work on Shabbos because the more money I make on Shabbos, I'll have more money to give to Tzedakah. You say, that's ridiculous. So it's the same thing. Going to medical school where you're going to have to violate Torah law if that's what it takes, so then don't do it. Just like don't go to work on Shabbos to make more money to... to, to um, Right, to, to, uh, to give stuck. Was he a physician also, Wednesday? No. <laughs> son in law was. There. Well, no, even a son in law was. Did Rabbi Tversky give an opinion on this? Which Rabbi Tversky? And it sounds like one of the doctors got turned down no. from your doctor. He's not a real 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 doctor. He's so he says, so let's finish what he says here. Yeah. we got to finish this, because I'm not coming back here next week. Um, the mother's obligation to send your kid to medical school. Um, so he goes out to say, I failed. He said again, you don't have to become rich in order to get stuck um, um, even, even though there's people dying because they don't have food. So listen, I need to work on Shabbos to help those people who don't have food and to help, you know, to help uh, get them off the streets. He says, of course not. He says, so too, so therefore, cutting up cadavers, cadavers, to learn from this some type of uh, healing. There's no obligation. Therefore, it's prohibited because of desecration of the dead. He says, um, he goes on to say, there's got to be a button there somewhere. <laughs> One second. One second, let me just read the next paragraph. It says, Even according to the reasoning, the reason of the Nodi Behuda, sounds to say, like, we're only not worried about, you know, uh, a lower number, you know, a far reaching Shash. Um, says that itself, he doesn't even like his reasoning. He says it's not applicable today because um, because of all the hospitals of the world all have patients who knows whatever you're dealing with, any illness as a motion is going to be some other patient in some other hospital. So he doesn't even like to know the reasoning of the Nodav Yehuda. Um, because you could easily send it today, and this is in 1964, you could send your your uh, whatever disease you have of the results, you can send it to other places, um, but still, but it's still prohibited because l- learning how to heal is no obligation, he says, and therefore, again, autopsies are prohibited. Then he goes on to say, <coughs> autopsy. He's talking about autopsy, not cutting up. No, cadavers. Matter. No, okay. it's the same thing. He's using the right. same term: uh, surgery on dead people. Tuach <laughs> is the Hebrew word. 
That's okay. Okay. Prohibited or prohibited on Shabbos? No, prohibited in general. In general, yeah, okay. general. I just want to make sure. Um, he says one thing. Let me just see if he has any allowance here. How do you get around it? One second, one second, one second. So the way I, I don't see it here. One second. And you didn't just take the kedava? I was okay. And this one, I decided I didn't want to do that. So, so the way, so there's two things. Listen, Manny, Manny, listen. So the, so the question is, how do you go to medical school to Marshall Feinstein? It doesn't seem so simple. So one way is, if you go back to what we originally said, that that it's that the law of autopsies are not are not applicable to non-Jewish corpses. Um, so that would be one permission. And that so comes from you go if you go in according to that opinion. Which, which they, uh, um, I believe in Israel, that's what they do. They ship in bodies for the medical schools. <laughs> they ship in non-Jewish bodies from outside the country. Um, I don't know, all medical schools. Chinese, no doubt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wherever they get them, on the black market. Um, so, so uh, or they use terrorists. Um, <laughs> you, you take them, uh, take them. Um, yeah, you know, so that's dead terrorists. So, so meaning, so again, that would be one permission. He doesn't address that here, but I'm saying uh, that's one permission. The other thing is basically what he's saying, and that's the next paragraph. He says, according to my humble opinion, Manny, this is what we said before. That he, this is address your point. He says, according to my humble opinion, lo yichat If you're not cutting up the body. Um, you're just taking tissue out, you know, do you want to do things with a needle, a biopsy with a needle, oh. things like that. Um, he says that would be permitted, and by the way, I relied on this, if you remember, we discussed the case where a guy was killed here in Houston in a motorcycle accident, and his parents wanted oh. to remove semen for future grandchildren. His parents in Israel called, uh, called, up, called us up here, and they asked us if they could, they want us, the doctors here, and we got urologists, the whole team from Baylor, so in that case, we relied, part of the Heter was, and I spoke to Moshe Feinstein's son actually about it um, at the time, if you remember, like two years ago, three years ago, this mm -hmm. case. So we allowed them, even though it's not so simple, not saying don't try this at home, but we allowed the, we allowed them to remove semen because again, as long as they didn't have to cut the scrotum to get out the semen from, they only used the needle, and I spoke to the urologist who, who the head of Baylor Urology went to do it, um, they had a whole team going after into it was a hospital in North Houston. And they removed the semen, so that's based on this on this opinion right here. So I told Ramosha Feinstein, this uh, son, based on your father's response, it should be allowed. So because originally I didn't know how they're going to take it out, so I called the team. Whatever it is, saying this is very applicable. And like we said in the other case where I had an autopsy case, where we allowed them to take to remove tissue and, and things that would normally done procedures that are normally done. Uh, on a live person, you can do so. Biopsy, a needle biopsy for sure is done on a live person. That's not considered mutilation. Okay, now we're out of time. I, I just want to wrap it up. I want to come back to this. So, just so the bottom line is when is an autopsy permitted? Um, so, he says here, just to sum it up, this is Dr. Steinberg in his new book. He says, um, he gives a few examples. He says, Misha Nifta, Machlakasha, Katlanis. Someone died from an unknown disease, which we need to know. Well, he died from to know if it's, if it's yeah. uh, what's it called, infectious or not. That's number one. Number two is, he says, um, he says, let's say it's a genetic disease where we need to know, um, I don't know if you can do that, know that from autopsy, but I guess you're taking out the DNA, I don't know what you're doing. But he says if it's some type of genetic disease um, where other kids in the family have died before, we're trying to, to, to close in on exactly what the genetic mutation is, so that would also be a case where we, we would allow an autopsy. Um, or if you, it's some type of uh, infectious disease. 
and we could save other patients by figuring out what this disease is and understanding how it spread. Uh, number four, he says, Somehow this could, uh, again, set some type of uh, disease that could go to other people and that, and that infection, something else. Also for, obviously, transplants, he also left to, to use organs to save other people's lives. So transplants, that's not considered mutilation either, by the way. So that's also a very important thing, meaning it's um, transplant, again, if it's a life-saving organ. If it's a cornea, so that could be questionable. Um, you know, if it's a cornea or something like that. So, so that's uh, that's basically what he's saying. Those are some of the examples of cases where it would be permitted to perform autopsies, um, even though you're moving.